Hello, welcome to Lambda Forms Radio. My name is Ian Corey. I am the songwriter in the band Lambda Forms. And uh, if I sound kind of tired and out of it, that's because I am. <laughs> it's been a long day finishing up working on a record with a friend of mine, but I would be remiss if I didn't take the opportunity to talk a bit about the record that I put out on Friday and the really wonderful reception I've received so far. Thank you everyone that's checked it out and hit me up about it and talked about the record publicly on the internet. That's all very kind. I'm really grateful about all that. Um, and I just wanted to sort of like take a moment to kind of pat myself on the back and just sort of think through the feelings of putting out this record and getting it out in the world, you know, and just sort of a broader note before we get into that because I feel like at this point you know we're 45 episodes in I, I deserve to um or you deserve really frankly deserve to have a bit more of my thinking about why I do this and what my motivations were when I started doing this podcast um I get I feel like I'm I owe it to you to re- explain myself a bit so uh I have some experience working in media for most of the 2010s i was blogging in one form or another uh ended up being the head editor of a website for a while i worked on a few websites as a freelancer i've kind of over the course of the last decade developed a lot of skills outside of my skills as a musician uh, instead as a member of the media you know learning how to interview people learning how to put podcasts together how to you know, run a slate of articles and how to manage a calendar and working with publicists on the other side of the aisle, so to speak. All these sort of things that I think a lot of musicians generally don't have a ton of experience with. And I think view with a certain degree of hostility. Like, I think that there's still a certain sense of antagonism between the press and the musicians that are covered by the music press. Sometimes, understandably, other times, I think, unproductively. So after the phase of me being on the media side of things um, kind of fell by the wayside or after I, to be quite honest, kind of stepped away from it as like a serious part of my life, um, I still had the itch to do some of the more edifying parts of that job, to meet new musicians, to hear a lot of new music constantly, um, to have a chance to have like a sit down and really talk to people about why they make their art to consider it seriously and to listen deeply in that way. And I also had this sort of parallel problem in my music career, which is that I kind of move slowly. (laughs) Um, I don't write a ton of songs. I don't, I don't put out music at like a, a very good clip for the, the modern lifestyle. So why not solve both of these problems at once by instead having a more low key, easier to put together and kind of inherently transitory piece of weekly, you know, a weekly thing that I can put out and have people listen to it and stay in contact with me. And also I have all these skills and this kind of hankering to talk to musicians. So when I talk to musicians that are, at my level that I collaborate with, that I know from going to shows, sort of start local and 
sort of help give some coverage to a lot of the musicians in my sort of creative circles. And sort of the, the byproduct of that is that it kind of keeps me connected to a pretty broad musical community outside of the one that I am in. Because as I start talking to all these different people that I've met or have you know, interacted with or whose music I've listened to for a long time, I'm also kind of like finding out where their audience is online. So I feel like I'm more plugged into the musical world in general, but also on my own terms. And I think it's important for artists if they feel like they're not being covered to cover themselves. You know, like I don't think we should be afraid of taking our own presentation to the world into our own hands and building our own media outlets and, you know, doing the work to promote each other's music through something like this. And, you know, I think that the, one of the benefits of that is it kind of strengthens those bonds between other musicians so that we don't see each other as competition necessarily, where we can actually see each other as lending each other a helping hand and acting as, you know, collaborators to some degree, you know, like if I'm a musician and we're meeting on that sort of level, maybe there's a trust that's there that wouldn't be there with someone outside of the media. And we can, I can use that to establish, you know, connections between, you know, it's like a networking system, um, which I don't think we should think of as necessarily a dirty word. I think it's, it kind of helps strengthens relations, uh, excuse me, strengthens relations throughout the music scene in a way that I think has a positive impact because the more connected we are, the more powerful we are in terms of, you know, if we're making demands as musicians, if we're trying to book tours, if we're trying to, you know, help each other build audiences, like us being connected can only help us. Which brings us back to the album, which I think serves a, a similar purpose, which I think I've iterated a few times over the course of this podcast. So if I'm repeating myself, bear with me. I apologize. So the idea to make a remix record uh, first came up while I was working on Sisyphean, the record that I put out in 2019. But I never had a, a lot of urgency to follow through with it. You know, I reached out to a few people. Um, a few people expressed interest, but I just didn't... I didn't see the finish line, so I couldn't... I felt bad forcing it, you know, and it just kind of died out. You know, I was going on tour that year a lot. There was other things that came up. Um, but uh, my friend Joey, who produces music under the name of St. Thrilla, um, did submit a remix, and I always held on to that and was like, okay, I've got this at the very least. If I ever want to revisit the concept of doing a remix album, I can always build it around this starting point. You know, that was like the first crack in the doorway where I was like, okay, this this could exist at some point in the future if I, you know, feel particularly motivated or if there seems to be a reason to do it, which I think pretty much takes us right up to the start of 2020 and, you know, the beginning of lockdown. As I've said multiple times, I that's kind of where the impetus and the drive to put the record together came from. And I did sort of reach out to a different group of people, which I'll get into as I go through the record that kind of had a lot to do with who I was, who I had met since releasing Sisyphean and 
you know, who I was working with kind of frequently at the time, which I think added a, a, a more, you know, it updated the concept to the circumstances that I was living in. And so the format of You Can't Do This Alone follows pretty closely to the original um, in terms of track order. It, it is really just a reinterpretation of the original record, sort of passed through a filter. So it, it maintains the same shape, but it comes out looking quite different. The only difference, uh, the only true track order difference is that I didn't include a remix of um, Nothing Ends, Nothing Lasts, the opening track off of Sisyphean. Um, instead, the opening music to the record is actually an extended version of the opening theme that I've been using for the podcast for quite some time now, um, pretty much since I switched it to a weekly podcast, maybe a bit earlier than that, I don't remember offhand. And I thought it would be kind of cool for the two things, the record and the podcast, to have similar openings, because I think their projects are very similar, so it creates this continuity between the two. And the idea for the way that this album is meant to, to be listened to is it's, it's supposed to be listened to from t top to bottom which I know is kind of not the way that people really listen to music anymore, but like, if you feel inclined to hear it the way that I'm hearing it, that's the way to do it. And I specifically requested that it be mastered that way. Uh, Seth Angle, who has been on the podcast before as the musician Options, um, he mastered this record, and I asked him to make each of the tracks flow into each other as if it was like a DJ mix because I wanted this record not to sound like a metal record, which, you know, thankfully my collaborators kind of took care of that for me, but also not to feel like a metal record. The flow of it, the tempo of it, um, the sort of internal dynamics of the album, I wanted to feel more akin to electronic music that I value just as much as a part of my listening and a part of my, you know, musical palette. You know, I listen to a ton of like, you know, Uncle or Massive Attack or Chemical Brothers. Like all this stuff is like as formative to me as the sort of heavy metal stuff that I was also listening to when I was drawing from music to create Sisyphean. Like these are two parallel tracks in my mind, but they are distinct from each other in a lot of ways. So I wanted You Can't Do This Alone to feel more like the electronic records that I grew up listening to and less like the metal records, you know? And Seth nailed it. He totally just immediately knew what I was going for. We only had to tweak a few tiny things timing wise, but the idea was like exactly there um, from the first pass of mastering it. And so after the intro track of, you know, the podcast intro music comes uh, Fabio Brienza's remix of I Have Been a Flame. I reached out to Fabio because at the start of lockdown, I'd seen that he had just done a remix for the band Daughters and I thought it sounded fucking awesome. <laughs> I, it was this like really totally different sounding thing from the original, like way more trip hop. And it had this like sort of like sinister, like internal darkness, uh, this kind of stormy quality that I thought would be like a cool fit for I Have Been a Flame. Um, and, you know, because that's also the doomiest song on the record in a lot of ways. I figured handing it to the most like doomy person <laughs> in terms of uh, the list of people that I reached out to was an appropriate fit. Like I knew, I knew that he would know what to do with it. Um, and he, he did. Yeah. He used this like 
a Casio keyboard that he thrifted to create some of the new sounds and run it into all this like extra distortion. It sounds like really eerie and dark and like, you know, stormy, which I, I really like as a way to open up the record. From there goes on to Andrew's remix. Uh, Andrew, who makes music under the name Numina. Um, we knew each other in college. We were in a progressive metal band <laughs> together like years and years and years ago. Uh, and I reconnected with him when I was on tour with Bellows and Gabby's World when I made it out to LA. And then again, you know, I connected, I wanted to like make sure that I saw him the next time I went to Los Angeles um, just before lockdown. I was there at the end of February for a friend's wedding and and it st- ended up staying at Andrew's place um, for the last night of my trip. And so he was like fresh on my mind and he had just put out this awesome debut album. So I was like, fuck yeah, this, this is a perfect fit. And he had, you know, he has this very like sound design, like film score, like orchestral and symphonic uh, background um, to his approach. And so I wanted to send him the song that would give him the most to work with in that sense, which is the song Deep Despair. And we go into this like way more in depth in the making of YouTube video. So I won't recap that here, but suffice to say, I think it was a really good pair of original material and uh, compositional sensibility for the remixer. Next, we get to the pair of hypothermia remixes, the first of which I already discussed, which is the St. Thrilla remix, which I think is maybe the most poppy and most accessible a reinterpretation of any of the songs on the record this like makes the song feel like e- like easier for people to palette you know than the original in depending on you know what kind of music you prefer but i think that this almost makes it sound like a very very dark pop song whereas frank's remix frank meadows the bass player in lambda forms his remix of hypothermia is about the most like fucked up sounding thing on the record um and i really love the idea of having both of them kind of have this approach on the same song and having them flow directly into each other. So you sort of hear this like interesting mirror effect of like the song in its most presentable form and then its most like alienating and uh, disentangled form. And I think that kind of flows into the second half of the record, which is more deconstructive than the first half and is generally like more avant-garde and less grounded in rhythm. I think Frank... And Adam, Adam Holmes, who did the Diminisher remix, both of them play in the Laminiforms live band. And the fact that they have practiced this material so much and are so like familiar with its kind of like inner workings, I bet that that had something to do with the way that they decided to like completely tear them apart and take them down to scraps and start from like a totally new place. Um, it's why it's kind of the most unsettling stretch in the record for me. I don't know if it feels that way for other people who maybe are not as intimately familiar with the songs, but um, to me, there's this cool kind of ambiguity and like unstated, like unease during that stretch where it kind of feels like the, the, the train is going off the rails and floating out into space, you know? <laughs> and the final track or the final remix um, that is a collaborative piece instead of one of my own uh, is with Zane of the band Humatia that I also play drums for. 
Now I saw that Zane had just done a remix for the band uh, Foxes in Fiction. And I really liked how that turned out. And so part of me, you know, obviously like this was maybe a bit hubristic of me since I don't make music that sounds anything like Foxes in Fiction. So I was like, oh yeah, like something like really like serene and ambient like that to close out the record for the most melodic track from the original album. That'll be really cool. <laughs> and instead, uh, Zane, I think, really threw me the perfect curveball, which is this like really manic glitched out version of the song that kind of makes it feel like it's being processed through something very slowly or something. I don't know how to describe it really, but instead the kind of like there is this like warmth that comes out of the song that I think maybe was hidden in the more like gloomy slacker rock version that's on the original record. He kind of taps into some of the melodic sweetness, but instead of making it saccharine, it is again this sense of the record kind of being pulled apart and like broken open in some way, which is also something that I, I wanted to lean into for the album art, incidentally. Um, I think if you're familiar with the cassette of Sisyphean versus the, the front cover versus the inner cover, um, you can sort of extrapolate from that to the cover of the remix record, and I think you'll understand what I'm getting at. I, I don't want to like overstate symbolic meaning, but it's it's there if you want to find it. And yeah, I, I, that's kind of an important thematic element of this record, even though it's like, you know, the only songs with the lyrics are songs uh, are the hit, uh, the hypothermia songs, which are not exactly the most positive lyrics. But I think if there's an arc to this album, it's a move from darkness into light, which is kind of all of my records. If I'm being completely honest, that is the arc that I try to tell in my music. I don't make pessimistic music. And so the final track is also the closing music for the Laminiforms radio, which you'll hear in a truncated form shortly. And, you know, it's got this kind of chanting. It's like this echo of like Sisyphus, Sisyphus. But instead of it sounding like sad, there's something kind of like bright and hopeful about the way that it's being, it's like playful to some, uh, that's at least how I hear it. And so the way that the record ends is by kind of this like tearing apart and revealing of this kind of lightness and this um, playfulness that's underneath this really like sh like dark and stormy exterior. Um, so I, I hope that like the journey is kind of clear when you're listening along. And I hope that it makes you feel that way, you know, because like we're going through a dark and stormy period in world history and like I do kind of hope that like at least on some personal level for half an hour you can arrive on the other side of it feeling like maybe we can all arrive on the other side of the big problems <laughs> in a sunnier and and more serene place at some point down the line I know it's like <laughs> self-absorbed to think that like listening to a remix record can do that for someone but uh, it does that for me, at least in the process of making it and putting all this together has um, been a very therapeutic process. Um, I don't want to like over or understate that. I just kind of want to leave that as like how I feel about it um, for whatever it's worth for you to know that. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for bearing with me. Um, this was good to just kind of talk this out. I hope you enjoy these sort of off the cuff 
um, versions of the podcast. I'll get back to doing more structured stuff shortly. It's just been like sort of hectic with the record. Um, but there's some really cool interviews coming up. I'm excited to keep talking to some other drummers, uh, some other writers, hopefully uh, some plans to, you know, reach out to some bigger artists again, because I know that those episodes are super important and people seem to really like them. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm really positive about where things are at the moment. So yeah, thank you for bearing with me and taking this quick victory lap around You Can't Do This Alone and its release. Um, I hope you enjoy it. And there's going to be more stuff soon. So stay tuned. Thank you.